Welcome to Far Realms Radio. I'm Skyler. And I'm Justin. This is our podcast of many things. Where we give you eldritch advice to improve your Dungeons and Dragons games. Let's dive in. Welcome to Far Realms Radio, episode 11. We're going to talk about classes starting this episode, and uh, we're really going to call it the divisions of labor. D&D really cares about what class you're in. It does. It, it's meaningful, and, you know, this might or might not be a reflection of you in society. It's totally up to you. But today, I think we're going to start with the first division of labor, which is the most straightforward one we can think of, and that is the fighter. The the class you choose in D&D is probably the most important choice you make in the game because you really only become more of what you are in D&D rather than dynamically change characters a lot. Especially you can always in this multi-class edition. or have a character arc. But yeah, but even if you multi-class, whatever you choose first. You just the... become better of what you were previously. You usually right. don't see a huge shift in role or, or mechanics as you level up. Right. So it's a big, uh, big part of the game in 5th edition particularly. So... Uh, we're going to focus kind of on that where it, in its current state, but we'll talk about kind of the history of how the class, where it started, how it got where it is now, how the role has changed, and then we're actually going to go through the mechanics and then each subclass and just kind of go through it and tell you what we what think about it. What they're useful for as yeah. DMs and players both. Quick evaluation, some ideas. Why, why you would this class, why you would this role. How not to fuck it up too bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the fighter didn't start by that name way back when, right? He's uh, He started by a different name back yeah. in the first edition. Fighting Man. Fighting he's, Man. He's one of the OGs of D&D. Of I'm o- a fighting man. was literally labeled Fighting Man in the original game. It summons to my mind images of Errol Flynn and Tarzan. It's, just, it's too on the nose, but it, because of that, I love it. And I think that was in the original, like, red box, the first one, you know, like, yep. you you were basically a human fighter, human male fighter, and there wasn't yep. a barbarian, so some of the artwork that they used, right, you could pass it for Conan, basically. Pretty much, that was, you were, you were Conan, <laughs> you were fighting man, Conan. But then that changed, uh, and uh, in second edition, I think that they, they made it like a, a base class you were you know not a fighting man but you were a fighter like your profession was i fight and before that they actually even added the paladin as a subclass of the fighting man oh right that was it was setting specific because greyhawk had special knights special Special, fighting men special fighting men that were holy (laughs) fighting men holy magic powers called themselves paladins so that was actually that's where the paladin showed up and then yeah and they were OP back then, by the way. They had, like, healing powers that were off it, the hook. It was ridiculous. You basically wanted one in like, your party. People that was... complain about paladins now. I'm like, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. But, yeah, they uh, they actually came in, core class, of course, and advanced the hit die to a D10, which is nice. Nice to have, even then. One what... of the things that was fascinating to me about in second edition about the fighter was that when you hit ninth level, you got a keep. Just as part of your class. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't give you any more detail around what that looked like, you know? So, you know, your 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 character got a keep. And then you as the player could say, DM, I'm ninth level, I get a keep. And then look at your DM expectantly. And then the DM has can, to be like, God damn it, now I have to figure out how to give you a keep. 
where are the rules for this part? This player's like, do I just get to drop it wherever I want? I point, and then a keep appears on top of that monster. Hey, guys, we're going to go hunt the trash. Come on, let's go. Right? Like, we're just going to hang out my keep for the rest of the game. We're good. That's all we wanted. Dudes, I got a keep. What do you want to go outside for? Right? We have, like, a dungeon We got dark wards. It's great. <laughs> Pool table. Yeah. But at least in, even in second edition, they kind of realize sometimes when you're playing a fighter, it can get a little boring. Because you're just kind of like swinging and hitting. It's the most straightforward class. It's very straightforward. You, you stand up in front and usually and fight. A lot of it really kind of comes down to how you do it and like what style you bring to the character. And I think a lot of us, when we first start playing D&D, <laughs> we look at the fighter and we go, why would I want to play that boring ass class? I'm here for some magic right. and dragons. I had that experience and I had friends have that experience too. And then you play as a wizard and you die again. because cats have more HP than you. And again. And then you're like, I'm going to try this uh, fighting man over here. Yeah. He seems strapping. I actually really like, I have liked the fighter because it is what it says on the tin, the class, you know, it, it looks like it's good at fighting and it is. And it's really hard to screw it up from a player perspective. Uh, you can be up in front with a shield and that's fine. Oh, you find a fancy magic two-handed sword. Well, ditch the shield and use that. You're still doing all right. You know, you can build a ranged version and you can just be like Legolas. It is. It's super It lets the player kind of be whatever kind of fighter they could imagine. Which means you can almost always have something to do. You know, the only area where the fighter historically sat out at the table was anything magic-y or religious-y. And like sometimes they could be religious-y if they just you know took that skill or, or had or a background like that. Or were a paladin. <laughs> But in this edition, you can be a fighter and an eldritch knight and have your cake and eat it, too. Yeah, and you first started to see that in uh, the Fighter's Handbook in 2nd edition. Mm -hmm. And that's where they started to add additional rules and fighting styles to kind of try and compensate for the fighter not having a ton of special, interesting abilities to use in combat. Mm -hmm. um, and then 3rd edition really changed uh, into the fighter, into kind of the class we know today in terms of at least how it works mechanically. Yeah, very predictable, very um, easy to reason through number-wise. But mostly the the focus on the combat feats. Right. Right, that was the big thing in 3 and 3.5 that really characterized the fighter was that you got more feats than anybody else. And there were more combat feats than and, any other type of feat. Exactly. So you, most of us played with a lot of homebrewed feats and 3.5 at least i did so you could build some pretty crazy shit as a fighter yeah you had the classic combos like the whole sentinel extra range you could get acs at low levels high in the high 20s you know it would you could become almost untouchable as it was a ridiculous it was one of the classic examples i liked in the old neverwinter nights video game the 3d one where uh, it used the 3-5 rule set, 3-0 and then 3-5 rule set, and it was pretty faithful representation. And you could take all the characters to 20, and uh, then you could pit them against each other with the max-out gear equal for, let's say, a monk versus a barbarian, a monk versus a fighter, fighter versus barbarian, whatever you want, and just see what the numbers did. And 10 out of 10 times, the fighter beat the monk, even though the monk had a higher AC, because the fighter had more attacks that dealt more damage oh yeah his action economy magic weapons you have like six attacks in so three five as more, a fighter more when you're maxed out bonus. yeah six attacks plus you had a pretty reasonable ac and more hit points yeah. and those hit points that the fighter has over across all editions is one of the bits really meat and potatoes right i mean it me means that you're that player is going to be involved in just about every scenario every encounter that that's happening at the table um unless they get 
saver died or saver suck, you know, like you're charmed or yeah. you're sleeped or whatever stupid thing like that. I think that fourth edition actually nailed the role of the fighter and tone the best. I think they really for, just cemented it for the role, um, but it left some things on the table. It was definitely the best in the defender role. Yeah. I mean, if you would, if you needed a tank, you were a fighter and you felt good about it and you could, but you were mobile, hold you could the deal line, a lot of damage. and you had a lot of hit points and I, I played it very well. The, the thing is, the, they leaned into the defender part too much of the fighter and they lost some of the quote-unquote striker in 4E parlance that yeah. the fighter could do too. And Definitely. one of the things I liked about 3rd edition, and I think 5E brought this back, is that you could build a ranged fighter like a bowman or a crossbowman and have, and be very useful and not have to be a ranger and have to have magic spells. You, you could know? just be a crossbow specialist. Right. You know. Um, but 4E just kind of lacked that. Although I think that the way that they manage their uh, mechanics, they really they nailed the the key, giving the fighter some rechargeable resources like any other class. That was the, the first time we saw pool this. Was cool. Yeah, yeah, having like the the martial power, like the idea of letting fighters have this resource pool. Don't worry, it's not magic. It's just a different resource. Right. <laughs> the power of will. Just go with it. Stamina. Martial power. That's a thing. So he's really determined. So, I mean, I think that in 5e, they did a good job of making the class kind of encompass all of the history of it so far and also keep the flexibility of the fighter. It's very approachable. Um, but I would say if there's a drawback about the fighter in this particular edition is that as you level up, as you said earlier, it you just become more fighty and oh. it doesn't really get more complicated. You're really good at it though. Right. Like you are really good at so it. So as long if you really enjoy that part of the game, like let's say you're a butt kicker type player, then Or you can bring something to the character that like make it makes it rewarding for you. Right. Like, but unlike a wizard or a cleric like, or a druid, you're not like gonna how have they commit the murder like rewarding some way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're just not gonna you're not gonna have the uh the kind of flexibility flair. and weird that you can get out of weird. magic you know something else definitely but it's definitely like super solid class in 5e super versatile like you can yep. build it a lot of ways like honestly a, a fighter built as a crossbow specialist is probably one of the most op classes in very the game. good yep and we'll talk about that more but <laughs> as a dm it's it's useful to have a fighter around too because you know that's a signal from the player that's very predictable the player says i built a class that wants to fight things i would like to kill them yeah. please and i'm going to be as good as i can at it so that, that's easy yeah, to lead down different paths. It's, it's easy to give them something to do at the table. You know? Great first class to play because its mechanics are straightforward. It starts off strong and stays pretty relevant as the levels go on. It doesn't really fall off. Like Monk kind of falls off after level six or so a little bit, mm -hmm. but it, you're like a god at level six, so you can deal with it. Like <laughs> right. You know, level six is Monk. That's my favorite time in the game. <laughs> but the fighter, it starts off strong enough that it's probably the best... Uh, like single level class dip to do for a multi-class. If you're going to pick any other class, especially for action surge. Yeah. Uh, well, like even if you're just doing a single level dip, like start as a fighter and then switch to, you know, every other level thereafter is a class mm -hmm. you're going to be. Mm -hmm. You're going to start with proficiency in every weapon and armor. Right. You're going to start with a D10 <laughs> hit dice worth of health. You're going to start, you're going to get tons of things that are just super front loaded. It's very super survivable. Handy. Even if you only take that first level, you get a fighting style. It's pretty handy. So, Definitely, definitely, uh, probably the first. You get second wind at level one, even. Yep. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, survivability, right? That's Fighters, just one, that's a le one level dip. You could go two and get an action surge. This is one of the things. You want to play a character, like I said, you want to play a character who can participate is probably going to be around having and hit points. action surge being one of the best abilities in the game. The fighter is one of them. And, yeah, and it's even better two. than the ranger and the paladin in this regard. Like, the ranger has more it can do. But the fighter is just tougher, which means it's going to survive longer. Yeah. Even than the paladin, you know, who can heal. 
Yeah, it's so. a, it's a great uh, great if you're going to do start as a level of fighter and switch over. Because when you take a class as a multi-class and it's not your first level, the proficiencies work a little bit different uh, with weapons and armor. So make sure to read that part if you're going to do that. Right. Because that, like that tricks a lot of players. You don't just get all of them, unfortunately. You have to pick. Yeah. But yeah, good hit die, good weapon and armor proficiency, great action economy, uh, frequent ability score boosts, uh, which translates to more feats if you're playing with feats. You should be playing with feats. If you're not playing with feats... Plus one. Pick a different class because you're going to be a little bored. <laughs> it's going to be a little lackluster without the feats because you can only raise so many ability scores so high. So I think um, let's go through but, some uh, of the... I would say the cons, if we had to pick some for sure. fighters. I mean, they got obviously... Strength, not... strength and con are not the best saves. But, I mean, yes, they're not the best saves. You're likely to be charmed. You're, you're likely to fall prey to will or wisdom saves yeah. i guess charisma saves you are equipment dependent if you lose it then you're oftentimes sol usually in most of the fighter builds except for the eldritch knight magic is something that just not a thing you get Duh. but you can multi-class so easily if you really want it right or take a background that yeah. gives you access yeah, to it. Yeah, and it can be a little bland if you don't know how to like get the most out of the class right that's what i was saying earlier i think that really the fighter its biggest drawback is that it is a really kind of what it says on the tin, you know? So as you go up in levels, as you progress more on this class, you're not going to get something weird or outside the box. It's it's yeah, going to give you exactly what you've been doing. I remember when I first started playing, I'm like, fighter. And yeah. it, my buddy's like, it is what it sounds like. And once I learned it had been fighting man, I was like, oh, okay, you toned it down? And it's still <laughs> that on the nose that I even, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. Right? Like, it's always like warrior or knight, you know, right. in other RPGs. And so I was like, huh, Okay fighter cool okay i mean when i heard fighter i first thought it would be like in a jrpg you know like the brawler who uses bare knuckle boxing or yeah, something like yeah. that class like would a be pit called, fighter or something yeah it would be called like a fighter you know in the in the jrpg mixed so martial arts that's or what something I, yeah exactly more of a monk almost or a pugilist yes right little did i know yeah I mean, and that that's fine for a lot of people. It just, I think that for a lot of the people who have played the game before or are looking for complicated crunch out of a D&D type game, which it offers, uh, you know, you get bored mm-hmm. at high level. You just have to rely upon the complicated parts are the items and equipment that you get. You know, instead of the spells that yeah. you pick, it's what items and equipment. How do you swap between them? What ones do certain things? You How know? willing is your DM to give you cool magic items if they're not willing to do Don't it be fighter then make them make the <laughs> make the items more interesting yeah if it's just like cause in 5e a lot of the weapons do the same damage die there's not a big yeah. differentiation I mean, you're gonna them. be good regardless because the game is balanced assuming you don't have any weapons that are magical and game breaking but it's one of the most fun parts of being a, about a fighter is you get sweet magic weapons usually one of the things that I, I, for me. I like about uh, Fighter 2, and we saw this more in, in uh, maybe the start of it in 3rd edition, but really it came into its own in 4E and in 5IE. I think they nailed it with feats, which is battlefield control, you know, and like Sentinel, I think we were talking about. Yeah, is, uh, classic combo. It's a really good one. You know, it, it basically allows you to stop creatures from moving around the battlefield. Um, and this is an area where... I'm of two minds, and I always go back and forth. On the one hand, we should be able to have feats and a system that does not rely upon a grid. On the other hand, the grid makes it so easy. And, oh, yeah. You know, like, it's just very easy it to visualize. feats. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but I think it works well enough in both scenarios for theater of the Definitely. mind or Definitely. So, yeah, tabletop. for sure. When we talk about fighters, uh, most of the time, it's assuming you're going to have feats available to you. 
Uh, in 5e, it is an optional rule, which is strange for most of us that spend a lot of time with 3.5 and 3rd edition because it's so feat-focused. Um, Pathfinder is also very feat-focused, and that continues in Pathfinder 2. So it's definitely something that you tend to look for if you've mm -hmm. played those games. And mm -hmm. you'll notice, even in 5e, uh, with feats being this optional rule, you get a feat in lieu of a ability score increase, right? That's right. how feats come into the game generally. Um, most people I know play with that. I don't know any DMs that are like, no feats, because it's why. Silly. So because of that, you get a lot of ability in score increases as a fighter. You get them at fourth level, sixth level, eighth level, twelfth level, and so forth. You're probably not going to get to those other levels, so I'm not going to name them right now. But it allows for you to take more feats than you might otherwise as any other class. So it's definitely something to consider when you make a character, you're looking to making a character. Uh, and you're going to have the classic combos. Sentinel uh, being one of those feats is usually Polar combined Master. with, yeah, with Polearm Mastery. Right. So what Sentinel does, when you hit a creature with an opportunity attack, the creature's speed becomes zero for the rest of the turn. So they stop moving. That's a lot of speed reduction. You imagine you most, have a spear. Most spells or... give you maybe, what, 10 feet of speed reduction until yeah, the end well, of their next turn? Uh, yeah, something and then like Ray of Frost. It also means creatures within five feet of you provoke attacks of opportunity from you even if they take the disengage action, which is nuts. It totally disregards disengage. And when a creature within five feet of you makes an attack against a target other than you, you can use reaction to make a melee attack against the attacking creature. It really makes it easy to control just, a battlefield. That's one feat. Right. That gives you a ton of action economy, the ability to slow a creature to a stop, like with one feat. Sentinel alone is a great feat for doing what it says, kind of Definitely. defending your... Yep your allies and controlling the battlefield you combine that with polearm master uh which means when you're wearing a polearm which in this case is spear usually like a glaive halberd pike even a quarter staff i guess um other creatures provoke an attack of opportunity from you when they enter your reach so with when they're in 10 feet of you you can attack them you get a free you get attack of opportunity and if you hit them they lose all of their speed they're not going anywhere right it's nuts. It's it's it a great you combo. A lot of space in, Most in a, of us in know a this combo. It's it's very fun. Right. It's definitely a combo I used in three five, to fun fun <laughs> effects. DMs hate it. One weird trick. DMs hate it. I mean, it, I think it's better than grappling, and uh, well, I'm, yeah, grappling, I'm glad that they leaned away from grappling in this in this edition. Whoa, hey, I love grappling. I mean, it's just still a broken system. In your next campaign, I'm playing a grappler. <laughs> Mark my words. All right. I will break the game. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, it's really hard to 5e, <laughs> but I will do it. Um, so I think we should probably talk about what some of the subclasses are that oh, you get. But wait, we got to go over do... one other ridiculous feat combo that I want to talk about. Okay. The sharpshooter feat plus crossbow expert. This one is another one that's pretty ridiculous because you can build for range damage. You can chunk out a ton of damage and you're just as tankly as a melee combatant mm -hmm. so by the time they get enter melee range and you switch to a melee weapon they're pretty torn up already um sharpshooter is pretty straightforward you pretty much ignore cover when you do ranged attacks mm -hmm. which in 5e um range attacks are really powerful so cover is really important not all groups play with that in effect though yeah and honestly so as playing a ranger who do wields and i compare this in fighter classically uh, these are the two right mm -hmm. you know which is better at at the that archetype yeah um i think that cover 
it, it makes more of an impact in this edition, but also range attacks are so powerful that it doesn't matter yeah, that much. They're, they're you know, you, even if you take the okay, they're undercover and I have disadvantage. Well, yeah. Still, you get but if you get more attacks. If you play a ranged character and you're kicking a lot of ass, a DM's likely to use cover to kind of shut you down a little bit. Absolutely. So it's kind of the player's trump card to be like, nah, brah. Like I can somehow shoot around it. It doesn't even matter. Right. You just become Green Arrow. So <laughs> you know, or you know, just Hawkeye. Hawkeye, right? Straight up. And then crossbow expert. So you ignore the loading quality of crossbows with which you're proficient. You can make ranged attacks while enemies are within five feet of you without suffering disadvantage on those attacks. And when you use the attack action and attack with a one-handed weapon, you can use a bonus action to attack with a hand crossbow you're holding. So you can essentially two... You can shoot twice in a round with crossbows. You can ignore the loading property. And you can do it in melee. So one of the things pretty fucking great. One of the things that's confusing about this is why this over dual wielding. Well, right? also this means you can run out, boop boop boop, boop hit people, run back behind cover. This one has a, a real time. benefit that you can. There, there's one thing that this build for shooting does that uh, ranger can't achieve unless he goes to this, these same routes too, same feats as well, and it'll take longer. Which is this build can attack with a ranged weapon in melee, which normally is is disadvantage. So you basically assume that you're just shooting all the time. Yeah, and. Uh, it's it's nice, you know. You can do also the other benefit is you, you can do multiple attacks with one weapon as opposed to with the dual wielding yeah, build when exactly. you have two. And so you it's have a little a hand cheaper, free still, which is good. And if you have an enchanted crossbow, for yeah, instance, dual wielding also plays into this. Yeah, exactly. Right, and where it where it, it I think there's some debate is what happens if you have all of the above, including dual wielding. Right, so you only have one bonus action. It doesn't give you another yeah, bonus it action really or matter. Thing, right that exactly. right. So there's some wasted resource there. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's some balance. I guess the, the gripe that I was, I'm, I'm saying here is, the, or the con, is you have to pay attention to where the overlap is between the feats and the builds because it's easy to pick something that has an overlap and, and that when in reality it's that you have to use a bonus action to do either one of that extra attack. And you only get one bonus action in a round, so you have to be careful, you know. They, and this, yeah, was, this was intentional. This is very true. They limited the amount of attacks you could get in a round quite, quite intentionally because that's how you get powerful oh, yeah. in this game. It's extremely... Like, the things that matter in the mathematical economy of D&D 5th edition is your HP pool, how much action economy you have, mm-hmm. how much damage you do with that action economy. That's it. Yeah, basically. Initiative, honestly, really doesn't matter, no. except for how your ego feels. Because <laughs> I like going first. Uh, I think... I mean, a low initiative makes you sad. One of the one of the <laughs> fun things to try in a group is rolling for initiative every round. It really pays honestly, off for characters Honestly, that's my favorite lean, way to play. Into that. Back it, when I used to play, like, pedantic 3.5. It does slow things down at the oh, table, it does, though. it does. But when so, you build, like, a character around it and you're so fast, it's so nice. I mean, I know. As a character who has advantage on initiative, it's like, man, I wish that was more useful. It is still useful. It's fun, but not... How useful is it? Who knows? Right. But you make, I think you make good use of it. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So I think we've been talking for a bit. We should stop in and uh, take a, take a brew. Yeah, a we drink should do that. Break. There's always a tavern. Right you over always here. start or end up in a tavern. Thank God we didn't start in one. I fucking so tired of starting in taverns and games. I'm so tired of it. <laughs> but this one, let's go in there. It's fine to stop into like this yeah, one. Yeah, we're there. stopping in. We're okay. not starting there. Welcome to Tavern Talk, the part of the show where we toast to you. Thank you for listening. And, and uh, review we, a brew. We review a brew real quick. 
So this week, we're reviewing Pliny the Elder, and this is from Russian River Brewing Company here in, in California. This is very North popular Cal. here in California. It's popular, I think, a lot of other places. I had a friend who used to buy this and ship it on Craigslist to people who were just willing to swap, beer swap, I guess it's called. Yeah, yeah. Had, it was new to me, but thing. this is a popular one. Um, you picked this one for a particular reason relating to today's episode. Tell me about that. I well, learned something from this. We're doing fighters, you know, and fighters are super versatile, and Pliny the Elder was a freaking renaissance man before the renaissance obviously but he did everything he was a warrior writer did all the stuff he i mean tells you on the bottle of the beer right here his story so he was a fighting man he was a fighting man exactly in a lot of fields um and plenty elder and younger also wrote uh some of the greek fantasy bestiaries that kind of are like (laughs) thank you for pronouncing it correctly i know i know i did that just for you because it bugs me too and some it's literally the OG monster manual. Like they wrote the OG monster manual. Half of the things in there don't fucking exist. I know. I love it. So, you know, I saw it and I thought it was fitting for the fighting man that yeah. he was. Yeah, I didn't know any of that about Planet of the Elder. Yeah. I knew he was a scholar. I didn't know any of the other stuff. I was yeah. like So there was like two of these, right? Elder and the younger. That's about it. Oh, well, it was his like nephew, I believe. Thank you, public school education. Yeah. You know. That's, that's <laughs> how I do. Uh but so yeah. tell me what, what you like it's about this beer. Because I mean, this is, I've had Planet of the Elder a number of times, and it does what it does, in my opinion, really well, but it isn't one that I would pick for myself unless it was the last choice. But uh, you like this, and a lot of people do. I really like it. It's it's a very, very drinkable um, double IPA. You know, it, it's not overpowering on it the palate. It is decidedly and, a double IPA. Part of that is they like you to drink it fresh before it has chance to change too much when it's in the bottle. Yep. Uh, I think it's very drinkable. It's pretty good, pretty fresh. I think the thing that I, I would... It's, could, it's not quite like a German beer garden beer, though. It's not. And I almost want it to be that whenever I have it, and I have to remind well, myself... It has the ABV for to be yeah, that. You know? exactly. Like it's I very have, strong, but it's it very it's stronger than, in my opinion, most other IPAs I, I drink. And, and it's not... For me, on the bitterness side, it's not. It, no, I don't mean strong bitter. I mean in, in alcohol, alcohol content. content. Oh, definitely, yes. yes. So for getting me as cronked as it gets me, I want a stronger flavor. And it's a very it. it's, mild It's almost taste. too mellow for like the alcohol content. Right, right. Yeah, almost. Which I'm like, okay, I, I get it. You know, and that's, that's probably like why that's it's popular. Like, I feel like that's Pliny's jam. Like he's walking around drinking some like <laughs> brew that everyone doesn't think is that alcohol. And he's but just drunk as fuck. It really will fight you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's, uh, you're probably right. That's a, a classic fighter thing to do. Yeah, right. Um, anyway, it's a good beer though. I, I always appreciate it. And uh, it's not cheap, so. Yeah, no, it's a good one. It's, it's highly solid. recommend if you can get it fresh as the bottle says having had it at their brewery in russian river it is better when you get it there and the bottle is great i guess that's true of most beer but this is you know if you're if you're able to get there and try oh man just don't drive yourself there yeah also we need to talk about our our contest that's coming up right new year new dice everybody needs new dice at some point so maybe it's a new campaign maybe if it's a new character yeah maybe it's just a new look on the Twitters, we will post uh, pictures of the dice that you can win. And it's going to be the same as last time. How do they win, Skylar? There's going to be a raffle. You're going to share our show, and you're going to give us proof that you shared our show. And then we'll enter you into a raffle and pull a name, and we'll get one lucky winner. So if you're on Twitter, just throw hashtag Far Realms, Realms Radio. And if you're sharing it any other way, just take a quick screen snap, screenshot, Send us proof to farrealmsradio at gmail.com. Or you, you can, can do it that it way. Too. Or you can tweet it at us, like, whatever. Just share the show, send us some proof, and we'll throw you in the raffle. Good luck. 
shall we go back to talking about fighting people? Yeah, I'm glad we didn't start in this tavern, though. I'd be fucking pissed. It would. I mean, I get it. Like, tavern is an easy and lazy DM construct, so but it, uh, we can be better than that, can't we? Good thing we only stopped by. All right. Thanks, tavern. Time back to show. Time to go back to back the show. Back to the show. <laughs> Okay, so we're back. Time to talk about when you're fighting and you get a class feature. I think it's a third level for third every class. Third level for the fighter. Your mar- martial, martial archetype. archetype. That's what and it's called. And this is a new fighter. and great thing I like about fighter that that diversifies the class and lets it do a lot of so really cool stuff. That back we, in the day, this was the prestige class. Prestige class or almost, multi-class. Yeah, you usually one sometimes required the other. Mm-hmm. My Often. favorite. My favorite one did. Um, and it's the first one we're going to talk about. The Arcane Archer. Oh, the Arcane Archer was a difficult one to get. And they were... You had to be a certain... fighter and a wizard, I believe, in 3-5. It was a pain in the ass. Yeah, and and, to, and you felt like you were just lame for a while until you got you this class. You were super lame until you got and the prestige class. And then you become very, very um, good at that and one you're like thing. like the magical green arrow. Yeah, basically. fantastic. Basically. So in 5th edition, they added Arcane Archer in... When they did Xanthar's Guide to Everything. Ah, that's we why I'm not we, finding it in my player's handbook. Yep, exactly. It's not in the player's handbook. This one is in Xanthar's. Uh, in the fifth edition, the arcane archers are like, they study a unique elven method of archery that weaves magic into the attacks to produce supernatural effects. Mm-hmm. It's assumed that this has been kind of disseminated across other races over the centuries by members of other races, but generally it is written flavor wise as like a kind of an elvish tradition. Which I kind of resisted because I was like, come on, really? It's got to be elves. It can't be anybody else figured this right. out. It's, yeah, it's always kind of attached to that a little bit. And that's the one thing that one part of the class, I'm like, did it have to be? Right. I mean, I don't know. But they did. So looking at the abilities. It's also one of the most powerful prestige classes fighter can get if you're going in the ranged route. Oh, in 3-5, yeah, it was great. I loved it. Yeah. It's not too bad in this one either. Uh, so the first ability is uh, you get it third. It's Arcane Archer Lore, and this is where it leans into that lore a little bit more. So Arcane Archer Lore, you get it at third level. Uh, you essentially get either the Arcana or the nature skill, you get proficiency in one of those. Like from wizard or druid. Yeah, essentially. And then you learn prestidation or druidcraft, which are pretty much the same spells with different flavors. Yeah, I mean, right. Is it arcane or is it nature-y? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you pick one of those. That's pretty much it. So that, I don't know how I feel about that one. It's like, that's cool. And you do make, it makes sense, but to have proficiency in those skills, but it, you know, in the, in this edition in particular, they tried to disincentivize. I like that it gives you arcane and druidy, so you can can lean away from the elf bit if you want to. Right, you can pick and just which be one pure you want. Arcane archer. But this very much looks like all right. Rather than multi-class between fighter and one of the other classes, just take this. Yes, this yes. archetype. I mean, I'm glad we don't have to do that for prestige classes anymore. Yeah, and some classes kind of provide some of that. But they also tried to make it looks like in this edition, instead of multi-classing, just take the archetype that fits what you yeah. want to do. And I think that that mostly works. Mostly. Um, it's just sort of a little bit of a guardrail, uh, especially for players coming from prior editions yeah. like me. And the weird one for this is this subclass, you could put it under the ranger and no one would question it for a second. Absolutely. It's almost stranger that it's still under the fighter. Yeah. Because everything about it flavor-wise says ranger. <laughs> I mean, like, yes. <laughs> the range, it, yeah, right? Like the ranger gets more class features that focus on ranged attacks even. Mm-hmm. It, 
either way, it's still a great fighter subclass. Um, Arcane Shot is kind of the signature move of this subclass. You get it at third level. Um, it gives you two Arcane Shot options, and you get more as you level up, 7th, 10th, 15th, 18th which is cool. Uh, you get two uses of the ability, um, and it refreshes on a short rest as well as a long rest, so it's good. And I, my favorite thing about it is it's just like, uh, I think it's a smite ability that does this. Uh, you decide to use the option after you learn if the arrow hits, so that way you're not always wasting your resource, and so you'll, you can use it a lot and some, not be worried like you're going to just waste it on a shitty attack makes It makes it feel good when you use it. At yeah. some point, I'm going to build a version of this that's Mega Man. Oh, yeah. I think that works quite well. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. Just Warforged Arcane Pow. Archer. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's some good weapons for that, I think, in the Eberron book. Yeah. It's, that's all I've always wanted to do, just be Mega Man right? in D&D. <laughs> like, it's always been kind of a dream of mine. It'd be hard to build Sonic or Mario, but Mega Man, you probably could. Oh, Mega Man and Zero? Fuck oh, yeah. Oh, Zero, you can totally. Build those, no totally. problem. <laughs> Seventh level, you get uh, Magic Arrow, so you get the ability to infuse arrows with magic, so you can essentially make your attacks... Uh, non-magical you can choose if they're magical or non-magical um you learn curving shot at seventh level this is basically about overcoming obstacles right yeah. how do you curving overcome shot's cool though because it's like you miss the attack and it like curves around comes back and hits the enemy that classic arrow move right uh so you can do that it gets a different target too which is kind of cool and then you get ever ready shot at 15th which essentially means if you roll initiative you have no uses of arcane shot remaining you regain one use of it which is handy if you're out of resources hmm. at that point, which mm -hmm. is great. At 15th level, you probably have a lot more options of things to do. One would hope. One would hope. But it's nice never going into a fight totally empty. True. Your quiver is never empty. So I think it's a pretty solid one. It really kind of hinges on the arcane shot options that you choose. Right. There's a lot of them, which is kind of cool. I like how many options that they gave. It's basically pick your theme, right? Yeah. Shadow, seeking piercing the cool thing is it's very green arrowy in that each one has like a status effect or yeah. it does something extra rather than just a elemental type of damage like you know it's not like just like the arrows from legend of zelda they're like oh and fire damage right you know which would i would not be opposed to as long as it did something else i think it, the fighter in my mind when i'm balancing a new class or a new class feature is the baseline I always start with this, and it was, I think it makes it easy to reason through balancing because it's such a very direct and straightforward class in all of the ways it does everything. Um, but I like its flexibility, and the next one is actually my favorite of the fighter archetypes, martial archetypes that you pick, the Battlemaster. And uh, part of why I like this one... Oh, I love this one. ...is because it, it, it represents in my mind what fighter best is you know a fighter should be a, the kind of person and this is just Skyler's opinion but uh, it should be the kind of character that can pick up and excel with any weapon oh i mean it's in the class description in the handbook that they can do that and you right. do get proficiency right. in all of them yeah but, but I, I totally agree with you the battle master i think really embodies like the description of the fighter right. the most out right. of all the subclasses and it it's basically most, like you are the most fightery of fighters you are the best you are the best at fighting the idea of combat and it doesn't matter what the weapon is or where you found it or whose it was or if you took it from them or if it broke and it was whatever you can use it and you can excel and that's part of what i love about it and it, it makes it very easy to just like always have something to do in any kind of conflict i also um, love because it has a little subsystem to it I love that they With did combat this. combat superiority. Because, yeah, the little subsystem. It's exactly what the fighter class needs because it it's so straightforward. Its class features are super duper straightforward, um, which we didn't talk about. 
but we should have. Uh, <laughs> they're really straightforward and, and very handy. Uh, so I mean, I think that the, the part of that this is these these are the class features. Uh, it's all right. The uh, the the thing that uh, what I like about the combat superiority, I agree, is that it gives you a little resource pool that you can manage of dice. Uh, and one of the things that this I think is something that D and D stumbled into in this edition uh, that I don't know if it was as intentional as it. Mm-hmm. feels is the fighter having combat superiority dice to manage where you, you set them on the table which ones you like have like you have magic it's, it's, it's kind of like <laughs> magic but it also it's sort of like a gambling game it's a little bit like what dice are you willing to roll and I like that I like that that has this kind of tone of how you spend your dice this is other systems do this really well than D&D and how they how they bolted this on here it feels nice it feels reflective of the risk that a fighter undergoes in a battle. Oh, it's a gamble every time you go into a fight. So, you know, yeah. I am superior in the battle. Here are my dice to back it up. Yeah, I like it. So, essentially, it it boils down to you get three maneuvers when you first get third level, which is pretty handy. And then you get two, two additional move, maneuvers at 7th, 10th, and 15th. Not one. You get two of them at each of those levels. And there's a good amount of maneuvers to pick from. There are. They're not all, in terms of, of power gaming sense, equal. But... They are a lot of fun, a lot of I mean, options. Right. Like, and it's something that's easy to bolt uh, homebrew onto, right? Power you gaming can find is, tons of other maneuvers out there. Power gaming, too, is very much about how do I maximize my numbers so that if given the circumstance that I, I can use them, I get the best result. But I think that there's another way to optimize, which this optimizes for different than power gaming, which is how to have something to do in a round. And maneuvers are really good for this because the fighter, especially if you're a melee fighter, isn't going to have a lot to do other than try to run toward the ranged combatants. But if you have a bunch of maneuvers, then you may have the option to do other kinds of things in the battle too. You can, you know, it gives you just more more choice, which is almost never a bad thing for a player. Unless you're a new player and you've got handed a wizard. Well, <laughs> then like, provide what, them some clear... What all these spells do. Make sure that they, they signed the EULA. You know? <laughs> they should know what they're getting on board for before they choose that. <laughs> you said you wanted to play a wizard. Here's your spell book. Right, so study up. You know, I mean, these are—they're not quite like spells, but they're very much like it. Uh, I sort of equate them kind of like to barbarians' rage powers. I think it's fantastic. They start—you start with four of them, and they're d8s, not even d6s. Right. To spend them on various kinds of things. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's this is one area in which I think the fighter really shines. It's how to have something to do always, and based on maneuvers or the superiority dice, how do I make any of the given attacks I have? feel uh, yeah. like like they were worthwhile. In the third level, you also get Student of War, which is proficiency with one type of artisan's tools of your choice, which is whatever, kind of a flavor thing, I, I guess. I think this is a nod to Pliny, actually. It's a, exactly, <laughs> yeah, right? it's a flavor Pretty thing. Much. Because it's exactly the, that. Those old soldiers, the old generals like Cincinnatus and Pliny and all of these also were craftsfolk sometimes. And uh, they would have some special skill, you know, like Cincinnatus was a, a farmer in addition to being the general that led the Roman Empire twice. You know, all this kind of stuff. So I think it's it's great. you you got to have something to do when you're not fighting. Right. And even if you are a character who lives for the fight and so on, what do you do when you're resting and meditating? There's something, you know? And this, there's strong precedent for this. So I like that they baked in these flavor bits into the class. I do, I do. But it's, nev- like, I like, you don't mind it at this level because you also get combat superiority, which is freaking amazing. This right. is like a little after notation that you get. But sometimes when you're looking at your subclass and you get just like, oh, cool, you got proficiency in this skill. And you're like, but but I don't want to wait four levels for that cool thing <laughs> right. that makes my class what it is because I won't get to use it very much in this campaign. you know. So I 
I don't know. Sometimes when I see a subclass that's really end loaded rather than front loaded, I'm like, I Why? don't see myself ever taking that. Right. Unless we are playing a higher level campaign. Start that level. Because it's just like if that I hinge it hinges on that ability to feel like that subclass should feel and it's laid in there, I don't know. Um, but this one continues to also get other cool things. At seventh level, you get know your enemy, which is one of the few cool abilities where uh, if you spend a minute observing a creature inside or outside combat, you can essentially, the DM will have to tell you two of these things. Uh, strength score, deck score, con score, armor class, current hit points, total class levels, if any, fighter class levels, if any. It's one of the few times you see these mechanics cross over really hard into the player mm-hmm. game level, right? Like, how's your DM going to tell you in character? He is a 19 in strength. This is like, so looks real tough. What I what I like about this though is that it's about information exchange. The DM has this information, and one of the components of the game is as players, especially fighters, who have a set number, they know what they need to roll to hit certain ACs. And as any DM will notice, they, they will deduce it after right. a couple of rounds of combat. They figure out what the AC is, and so sometimes the DM will just be like, "You're aiming at AC 18, and start there." He's wearing full plate, and but he looks kind of slow. AC 18, and, and give it to you, but not always. So here's an explicit mechanic that hangs a lampshade right on that thing and says, the DM has the AC, sometimes the players do too. Here is a way that you can get whatever information your DM isn't telling you that you want that can affect the fight. I like it, and it's also such a fightery anime thing. Like, you can sense his power <laughs> right, level by right. watching him for a minute. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. You know, I always look The power in, level is over 9,000. I always look how, like, can I make this more anime in my characters? <laughs> can I because build Goku? I, li- I like the drama of it. Not necessarily Goku, you know. Okay, Vegeta. Vegeta, you know. Piccolo? Piccolo, yeah. Vegeta's <laughs> also a mass murderer, so. <laughs> That's, you know, I mean, there's kind yes. of that. Uh, Krillin. I was always you like, definitely just, build Krillin. I like how we're always just forgetting that part. Like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> right. Yeah, just don't worry about it. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So, and then your combat dice get better. Um, and, and then at 15th level, uh, you get the kind of the similar ability to the Arcane Archer. If you start a combat, you roll an initiative. If you don't have any superiority already dice, you regain one, which is great. And Always have something yeah, you can do. The maneuvers are fantastic. Uh, I think some of them are really handy. Some of them are kind of useless almost compared to others, but they're great for flavor. The nice thing is you get to learn a lot of them. You learn three, and then every time you learn more, you learn two, which is nice. I don't really know of any right. other thing where you get two every no, time you level it, up. I mean, spell, wizard spells. Maybe wizard spells, yeah. It's, it's directly comparable to that. You know, it's it's very much like you are leveling, you're leveling up your powers, and these aren't spell powers. They're fighter powers, and they have a different refresh rate for many of them you know but but they they allow you to affect the conflict in some tangible strategic way yeah my favorite one i think is commander strike so i want to go over this one i think this one's cool because it reminds me of the lord from 4e uh when you take the attack action on your turn you can forego one of your attacks and use a bonus action to direct one of your companions to strike super useful super cool uh so i like that i think that's a fun one um and also, you get to add your superiority already die to the attack's damage roll. Ridiculous. Right. So when your barbarian is up there, the fighter can be yeah. like, go! And then and the barbarian your, gets another know, attack plus with my bonus. Hulk, smash. Yeah, basically. Right? That's where you're telling Hulk to smash, and you're giving him that extra bonus die exactly. of damage. So that's my personal favorite of the, the maneuvers. I think least. that uh, you'd be remiss if you didn't talk about the trip attack, which I is mean, still OP in every it edition. It used to be a feat, and now it's just this. Tripping is just always overpowered. I think it's even an uh, optional option, an optional option, an optional rule in the DMG, perhaps, or the player's handbook. Yeah, for normal trip, trip attacks. Just but this one gives it to you options. explicitly. 
Um, this is one that the DM can't tell you you can't do. Right. Because it's right there. Exactly. Because I spent my class feature on it. It says right here in the player's handbook. So um, I think it's worth talking also about the Cavalier, which uh, has always kind of is okay. sat between a bunch of different things. Yeah, it's it's a hard one to do, right? It's Cavalier is generally the mounted combat kind of niche. Pathfinder made it its own class. Yeah, I it mean, often has set, sat in the Paladin camp for a while. Yep, yep, it's definitely a Paladin thing with like the fine steed or whatever ability right. they always seem right. to have. Right. Um, I honestly, like, this is when I was like, oh, okay. And then I read the mechanics and I was like, I fucking love this and it's really good and you really can just ignore the mountain. It would still be freaking great. I'm glad that they made it though. Something that players can opt into because it allows DMS, maybe I should say it, it forces DMS to think about how they can give players steeds. Honestly, how do they not just have, it's so easy to make it so they don't have any kind of mount. Yeah, exactly. And mounts are great. I love when mounts are a tactical thing to get across certain areas or distance farther or when they provide some kind of combat advantage. Yeah. The one issue, issue is how are you a horse going to squeeze through those little bits of the dungeon exactly right so i think one of the quick easy solutions for this is if you have a player who really wants to do this if you can guide them towards a small sized character so they can have a smaller <laughs> mount a medium sized that's mount. How you solve that that's interesting yeah, exactly that's like my first way to solve that is yeah you could do that but you're gonna have to be a small character so you can have a medium mount so this is not a ridiculous like pain in the ass if you guys are doing some spelunking which you were probably do i probably would have leaned into more like the drizzt version which is uh, how am i going to get you a mount that you can summon and dismiss immediately <laughs> so that i don't have to worry about this anymore you just know fine steed oh cool you just know the spell <laughs> here's a magic figurine that gives you a riding panther oh look you just you you have it as part of your background you okay have battle cat just, just take it just take it but yeah do me the favor and so, take the magic item there's that to consider as a DM, like and them having a mount. The other thing to consider is, is it going to be a controlled mount or is it going to be a mount that has its own initiative and actions? How are you going to play out that extra action economy for that the player? The DMG has guidelines on this. There's but guidelines really, in at, there. At the end of the day, you should choose whichever the, I think the player wants and which you as the DM are willing to adjudicate. Yeah. Um, it, it can be either. There's no bounds yeah, issue really I would feel in like it's a controlled mount given that they are a trained cavalier if yep. they're on their own mount, you Agreed. know. Um, but anyways, let's go through it. So it third level, it has kind of that uh, bonus proficiency, like flavor bit to lean into being like a knight, you know, compelled to right rhymes and earn prestige and go on glorious adventures. Mm-hmm. So uh, animal handling, of course, history, insight, performance or persuasion. Alternatively, you can learn a language of your choice. I would almost always go with the skill. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. Well, absolutely. You're, why? You're not going to roll on language? Unless you built your character wrong and need to course correct by learning a language I mean, that you're interacting with. Maybe mid-campaign with. you want that language. You could. It could be useful in dip, if you're playing a very diplomatic type of campaign where right. that matters. It could be good. I mean, and actually, now you say that, I could see that given that this is a, basically a knight you're yeah, building. It's it's the, it's for the flavor, for the knight bit. The you courtly know? bit. Yeah, exactly. The courtly bit. I learned sure. another language, my liege. Yes, exactly. So at level three, you get born to the saddle. Uh, essentially, you get advantage on saving throws if you're not try to knock off your mount. Uh, if you do fall off and you fall no more than ten feet, you land on your feet. And you're basically a cat. Yeah, you're basically a cat if someone tries to knock you off your mount. But the the really important part of this one is mounting or dismounting a creature costs you only five feet of movement rather than half your speed. That's super important. So that like that's something to consider because if you're mounting a creature, it's just like prone to standing. You're gonna spend half your movement doing that. So that's super handy. Absolutely. To have, for sure. Especially if you have a larger character, a larger mount. 
Um, also at third level, this is also third level. They get you. It's pretty front loaded. So this is unwavering mark. This is straight out of four E. Uh, at third level, you can menace your foes with a mark. I guess you you menace them. I mean, you're a knight. Ha so, ha ha! Yeah, I, guess I will so challenge you. In my head, you you essentially Zoro them. Yeah, you kinda. draw the Z on their on them, <laughs> and then I guess that helps. So essentially, uh, you hit a creature with a melee attack. You can mark the creature until the end of your next turn. Uh, if someone is within five feet of you, a creature marked by you has disadvantage on any attack roll that doesn't target you. So essentially, you're penalizing that creature for not a target, not targeting you. It's almost a taunt, right? An indirect taunt, essentially. Yep. That creature wants to attack you because it's not going to have disadvantage like it does on the other targets. Also, um, if it deals damage to anyone other than you, you get a free special melee attack against the marked creature as a bonus action on your next turn, which is great. Basically makes the, the target... It's like, your fight bitch. me, right. and only me. And if they don't, then you're like, ha ha, smack, I told you. Right. Ha ha, smack, I told yeah, you again. You shall not pass. Right. We're going to fight. You and me. Uh, so, yeah, and you get advantage on that attack roll on that special melee weapon attack. It's pretty great. Um, and if it hits, the attack's weapon deals extra damage to the target equal to half your fighter level. So those guys are really going to want to attack you instead of your ally. Um, There's a clutch, though. It's tied to your strength mod. It is. It is. You can use the, it, what, a number of times equal to your strength mod? Yep. Minimum of one. Which it's is a long rest. weird to have it not be strength or dex. But yeah, if you have a dex based fighter, you kind of get fucked by this a little bit, which right, is so not, you're not cool. gonna build a fast knight. I guess you're less unwavering because <laughs> you're just like you're not as buff, so you're not as scary. I'm so dexterity, you, remember, so it says I'm at definitely the start, more wavering. You, you menace your foes, and you're just too lithe to menace, lit, live, lithe to menace them. Yeah, I guess I yeah. don't know. I thought men the menacing part was from huh. the weaponry, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. Anyway. You so learn seven, a different maneuver at level 7. You get a warding maneuver, and it basically lets you fend off strikes that are attacking you or your mount. You kind of choose who it hits. Right. It's it's basically uh, anything that uh, within 5 feet of you is hit by an attack, you can roll a d8, and uh, it has a reaction. You have to have a melee weapon or a shield, and then you add that number to Did the target's AC. That's ridiculously good. Sort of like, hey, if you stand next oh, to me... Oh, and if the target hits, it has resistance against the attacker's damage. Right. If you stand next to me, I will defend you. Dude, you're just like Captain America all of a sudden. That is really freaking good. Because think about this combined with Unwavering Mark, right? They want to attack you. If they don't, you punish them. And if you don't, you just block it anyway. Right. 1d8 to an AC. I can't think of other abilities that are, hey, you get 1d8 to your AC that frequently. I kind of wish it was 2d4 instead of 1d8. <laughs> that just makes it even better. I mean, it's already it yes. already should it should already be a 1d6, let's be real. Like, <laughs> it's probably true. It's, it's, you're at 7th level, though, so I can 2D3? see... 2d3? No, 1d6. At 7th level, I can see the 1d8 being reasonable. But you, you get resistance even if it hits. You do. Only number of times equal to your con mod. Again, but fighter resource management. If, but if you're playing this, this subclass of the fighter... It's strength and con for you, right? I mean, and it doubles down. That's with, really with, what it comes down with to. With the next power, you get a 10th level for this, which this is hold is a, the line, this right? This is a strength and con subclass. Right. This is basically the cavalier is the one you're going to pick to you take the, like, maintain the line. You get a reach weapon. You get Classic sentinel. Defender. And you get polearm master on this class. It's nuts. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. and don't forget, you have axe and surge and second wind on top of all of this. It's true. That's the thing to remember when we go through the subclasses is you can always do an action surge 
and really those subclasses, some of them, especially some we'll talk about later, become extra nuts. The action surge gives you another action, like, which I mean, means you can do all kinds oh, of, right? you can do all kinds of crazy things. I mean, so, and it continues to go back and forth between holding the line sort of as a defender type and also a mounted uh, character as you get to 15th level and then 18th level with Ferocious yeah. Charger and Vigilant so Defender. So essentially, it's the this, whole... this, this, basically, this subclass assumes that you are going to be mounted and on the front line of the battle guarding everybody else and if if there are multiple melee combatants in your party then they get stronger when they're next to you so essentially yeah hold the line is pretty much a free sentinel right gives you most of sentinel Mm -hmm. it does and then if you combine it like so what it does is wield a pole arm or a javelin a lance essentially creatures provoking an attack of opportunity from you when they move five feet or more while within your reach it's kind of like 3.5. And if you reach a creature with an opportunity attack, the target's speed is reduced to zero until Which the end of the exactly current sentinel. turn. I do not miss five foot steps. No, but yeah, so, yeah, you combine that with something like Rage Weapon, Sentinel. This subclass, regardless of even whether you're mounted or not, is very strong. I like it. It is defendy. Um, and then it just like ferocious charger, you know, it scales up more as you go. It's basically, uh, this one I almost feel like should be a lower level ability. I agree. Um, especially for a 15th level, right? Maybe like flip that and one of the other ones, but not bad, but you can use it, uh, each turn. Wow. That's once, nice. Right. Which is why I think it's 15th level. It basically gives you like a, I'm going to run you this down. Is your, I'm going to run you down with my Lance ability again and again and again and again. I like it. And then finally, Vigilant Defender at 18th level, just, it basically gives you a reaction once on every creature's turn, which except is... Except your turn. Except yours. <laughs> which is different than normal reaction it's So rules. it doesn't eat up your usual reactions. Correct. Correct. You get a special reaction. Which just gives you an attack. extra attack. This is basically like you are standing in the middle of combat. opportunity attack. Yeah. And that's at 18th level. You combine that with Sentinel and whatever else you have, it's pretty handy. But 18th level, doesn't really matter. A lot of the time I look at those and I'm just like, that's a cool idea. Right. I will. The chance that that factors into the game ever is so low. It is one of my goals always to get the party to 18th level. Well, then we should start at like 15th sometime soon. I'm going to start at level 3 kind of guy myself. Anyway, Um, we should talk about this one because it's... The champion. It is pretty much... It's what I imagine when I think of a Roman gladiator. Me too. You know? That's, that's what I see when I see this one. This is basically not your knight. This is not your heavy defender. This is the one that it doesn't even necessarily have to wear heavy armor. It, it's mostly around how do I get a critical with my weapon and do the so, ma- yeah. most damage I possibly the, can. The flavor description is the archetypal champion focuses on the development of raw physical power honed to deadly perfection. Those who model themselves on this archetype combine rigorous training with physical excellence to deal devastating blows. So very much the gladiator description. Like, How do I be a crit b- yeah, machine? It's Remember taking the keen feet back in 3-5? You're always trying to get like that keen scimitar. Keen is a magic item ability and then improved critical both. And, you could get like 15 to 20 threat The range. serrated scimitar. You know, you're like, my crit range is like 15 to 20. And your DM's like, I hate this. So... Um, I think that this this leans into that very much. It gives you, you right off the bat improved three, crit nineteen and twenty. Which is a big deal. And then that's a uh, lot, right? But it also makes you very very much able now, to do like leaps and jumps and climbs like, when you get to seventh level. The only downside is at level three you get improved critical, and then you don't get anything else till seventh level. And improved critical is actually really powerful mathematically, but it doesn't feel that way. Yes. Because unless you're in a smaller table rolling a lot of attacks, which you will as a fighter, no question, hopefully. Otherwise, what are you doing? Uh, 
you'll get it a lot. It'll pay. It'll. It's so worth it. There's a reason you don't get anything else until the seventh level here. Well, on seventh level, it basically they, they tell you what you should already have figured out with this with this subclass, which is you should be running and jumping over stuff to get right up in your enemy's face. Like get over and your enemies, get, the, get those crits, get way back in the in the in the back where the squishies you are. Really and are like crit a, them. you're a crit hunter. Yeah, that's exactly what this class is. This this subclass. You build your, you build your class this way. It's how to Ugh. bypass all of the front line, like in football, yeah. to get to the soft right. quarterback and now crit his ass. Keep in mind, ass. you can put feats on top of this. You have action surges in addition to this. So so if that wasn't enough by now, at tenth level, they're like, hey, by the way, we knew you were good at hunting crits. I really like this. Have a fighting I, style. I wish more. I so many times would rather get another fighting style class feature than I would like a language or a skill proficiency. Oh, totally. Because it's so much more likely that my fighter picks up another fighting style from someone he meets than it is than he decides, oh, I've learned a new language. I'm like, we've been murdering things for the last <laughs> month. How did you have time to study this? I was reading it while we are taking long Who lists. have you been talking to? Duolingo, bro. How did you learn the pronunciation? <laughs> What's going... What? It makes... That makes less sense to me than, oh, I learned how to use the bow, right? Yeah. Because a fighter's like, I've been studying the blade. Like, you're like, oh, he probably I mean, actually I did. My whole point is, like, we should be able to pick... Which one of those we want? They shouldn't be mutually... Anyway, that's a separate rant. Yeah, right. I don't want to get... But then so again, 15th level, we see... At 15th level, it doubles down. It's like, look, you should be hunting crits. And now, if you're not already getting them at least 15% of the time, you are. Think about that. Right. 18 through 20 is 15% of the time when you roll a d20, it's you a crit. crit. That's exciting. It doesn't mean you auto-hit. No. But it's cool. I, I know. It's super great. Especially if you use like modified crits with cards or anything else. It's yeah. just a super yeah, fun mechanic. If you have any extra This bit, is the kind of class feature you're going to take it to feel like cool. a badass when you win. Since at the you table. and I play with crit and fumble cards, because we used to have the crit and fumble tables back in the day, right. we like that extra bit. Crits are extra fun to get. And then, I mean, it just basically doubles down at 18th level that you don't, you're, you're like Spartacus. You're, you're, yeah, you just don't die. Nobody's going to kill you. You don't die. You, you you regain hit points equal to five plus your con mod if you have no more than half of your hit points left. That's the start of each of your turns. It's pretty nuts. It's sort of like, you're not going to kill me. But yeah. then again, at 18th level, I, the amount of damage. It I, can that, be bursty at that point. Right, right. So 18th level, what is balance? So this next one is actually my favorite. And okay, this is your favorite one. I like this one because I have a real soft spot. I think you know what my favorite one is. For gishy characters. And gishy... Who doesn't love a good gish? Means, you know... We it's, should explain that because the first time I heard that, I was like, right, what the fuck are right. you talking about? So, you know, a gishy character is a character that's basically fighty and magic-y. They have both. And uh, and the next one we're talking about, you, you probably already know, is the Eldritch isn't it, Knight. Doesn't the, the nomenclature come from, like, Githyanki and Githyari? Yes, it does. Githyari it's a, it's a derivation of that, because the Githyanki and the Githzerai originally were, especially the Githyanki, they were fighters who had psionic-slash-magic powers, and they were good at both. And players, of course, would fight them in the Monster Manual and be like, why can't I have that? How do I learn what those guys did? I want to be a fighter with magic, or I want to be a magic-y person that fights. You know, I want... I want Por no las dos? Mm -hmm. And uh, so... That phrase is so appropriate here. Right. So the, the term gish represents exactly that. And it's it's been kind of a holy grail for, for fighters for a oh, couple yeah, of editions. Of course. Like, this was a top-notch prestige class in 3.5. Right. Like, so much in, right. of the time, at least for me, playing a fighter in 3.5, I was like, okay, what cool prestige class am I going to take? My favorite one is the one where you could, like, polymorph parts of your body and do, like, the battle Weapons. changer yes. or whatever it was yes. called. It was 
so overpowered and ridiculous, but I loved it. So I'm happy. War, War Shaper. That yes, was it. I'm happy this one is in the PHB that they're like, okay, here it is, and it does actually a very good job of it. You know, I think so it, does. it I'm gives so you spellcasting. I don't have to multi-class to a wizard anymore. Right, it gives you spellcasting at third level. You get cantrips, which let's be honest, if you're playing a fighter, you're interested in blasty and damagey. Yeah. So cantrips this are great for that. Just like blam, blam, blam. So many role-playing flavor abilities. There's so many characters that are like that ma- knight with magical abilities. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. if you need to be Sailor Moon. Yeah, you can do <laughs> I that. Mean, it's pre- I mean, I think prevalent in anime. I don't know. There's probably better classes you could play Sailor Moon as. We'll have to talk about that later. But you could. Yeah, and I, so I like this one because it also encompasses, it's like a wide swath of you can add blast or you can modify your weapon or you can jump, because you get spells you can pick from, or you can jump around with like displacement or like, you know, uh, dimensional door, these kinds of things that, that you get out of the Eldritch Knight that are that are nice. So um, you get two cantrips off the bat, which is great. And also spells at first level and higher. You, you, it picks your intelligence. So, you know, the, the trade-off here is you're never going to be as good with your spells as a straight-up wizard. But you have some brawn to back it up. Yeah, it's more of just a supplement for your martial abilities. And choosing the right spells can be super handy. But even on top of this, you get other stuff. You get, of course, a cool magical weapon, which I I always love having this weapon bond kind of ability. Totally. So and it, the worst thing when you're like someone who relies on your weapon is when the DM like has your weapons taken away. And you're like, no, my magical sword. But now I feel it's useless. My, it's my baby. Why did you take <laughs> Will it? Will I ever get it back? Yeah, I mean, and this one is good. Like, it's it's sort of like the Arcane Archer, but a little bit more flexible and probably maybe melee-focused. It, it also makes me feel like Doctor Strange a little bit. How I'm just like, poof, oh. here it is. Oh. <laughs> right? You're just like, it just yes. teleports to you once you've bonded to it. If you need, As long as it's on the same plane of existence, right to your hand. Pretty great. This one is different than most. You can have two bonded weapons, right. which is pretty sweet. Well, because dual wielding. Yeah, but also because dual wielding but it could also be a ranged weapon and a close weapon which is pretty handy that's true right that's true there's a lot of good possibilities flexibility. there the fighter is always about yeah, flexibility i like that you're never disarmed with this one which is super cool love it so another one is beginning at uh, war magic when you get to seventh level you this when you cast powerful. a cantrip you can make a, a weapon attack as a bonus action this is a big deal so imagine if you're like a bow fighter and you didn't choose arcane archer and you have this, you can cast a cantrip and attack with your crossbow or bow at the right. same time. Now, or not... you can cast a cantrip at a, another person next to you and attack with your sword at, at the same point, time. At this point, the cantrips probably aren't doing too much. I don't they believe they scale that hard. They do some for damage. But it's not, not Eldritch Blast, but it's okay. Right. right? Some right. cantrips are pretty handy. Right. Either way, any extra action economy is great. The other thing to remember is you also have Action Surge on top of this. And Action Surge is important here because it's one of the few times in 5th edition where you can straight up just cast two spells. Because you're like, I have two actions to spend. I can cast two spells. Neener, neener, neener. One of the things that's important to remember when playing 5e, which can be kind of a buzzkill, is if you cast a spell on your bonus action, if you use your bonus action to cast a spell, you can then not use your main action to cast another spell. I know. It is written to the rules as what is like bonus spell limitation or whatever clause. Yeah, it's in, it's in the know. bonus spells piece. It, it's something Jeremy Crawford has clarified before. You can only and use it as a cantrip. You can cast your action as I a think cantrip. It's a not... bit of poor design meant to just limit the lazy tack on of bonus actions to certain things. Like yeah, I agree. Just adding the bonus actions onto the action it's definitely economy. definitely something to... I homebrew home yeah. ruled away. So it's, you know, however, when you're playing with the rules as written, that makes this class really cool. It does. Because you can do so many things in one turn. 
Uh, and there's a lot you can do with that, which I think is really cool. I mean, Eldritch Strike, when you get to 10th level, uh, yeah. allows you to... Just right through resistance. Right. Uh, and then you have this advantage on the next saving throw against the spell you cast. You know, it's basically then, how do you make your fighting spells better. I really love 15th level. You get teleport. I love teleport. It's always one of my favorite mechanics in Me any too. game. Me too. And so you just get the ability to teleport 30 feet you can see when you use your action surge. So essentially you could just make the most epic entrance ever. You oh can, yeah. yeah. You can teleport before or after the additional action. That gives you, you just have so many options with this class. Like that even if the magic isn't as powerful, it's still fun and flavorful. And if you use the action economy well, like it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, and it just doubles down like like it does. It continues, yeah. Eighteenth level, then you're just making more attacks every time you cast. You can a spell. just make a weapon attack as a bonus action if you cast a spell. So this is very much the sword in one hand, glowing ball of energy in the left hand, and you're like blasting and slashing and blasting and slashing kind of deal. I mean, if we were Gandalf is more than this, but if you're looking at Return of the King and how he was fighting, that's definitely what he was doing here. Pretty much, yeah. I like I like this one. This is one that I've always enjoyed. I'm so I was happy to see the Eldritch Knight right away. Um, the next one is one that I think is super underrated in terms of concept. The mechanics are a little lackluster, and it's one that most people forget about. It first appeared in 3rd edition, and it was the closest thing there was to a quote-unquote knight it's prestige like a, it's class. a non-magical knight, essentially. Yes. It's not, you're, yes. you're a really loyal knight, but you're not a paladin. Right. I mean, now we have Cavalier and also this. It, it, it started out specific to the Forgotten Realms as well. It always because bumps up against Paladin for me. I, I always pictured it as like a Knight of the Round Table Knight. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's exactly, and that's how it portrays itself. And they, they, they called it originally the Purple Dragon Knight because in Cormir, in the Forgotten Realms, which is now in 5e, the default setting, they have an order of knights, the Purple Dragon Knights, who are your quintessential Arthurian style. Yes. We are Knights of the Table. I mean, I love it. It's great. And, um, and and part of why it was powerful in 3rd in edition was it was one of the only procedures you, classes you could get that lets you add extra dice to your damage dice. Right. Adding to damage is always fun. Who yeah. doesn't like doing more damage? The thing that's important to notice, and there's a note in the book here, it's uh, actually from the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. So this can be one that a lot of people don't know exists, or they can't find it. And sometimes people won't allow it in games because it's specific to the Purple Dragonites. Right. You but, have to scrape off a lot of serial but numbers. you can just scrape off a little bit and call it a banneret or a banner knight. Yep. Right? Because that's what it is. If you've played Banner Saga, you know what I'm saying. Or even um, Game of Thrones counts too. Right? Like any, Yeah. It's the knight with the banner inspiring the allies a bit, right? And so it makes a note to just call it a banneret otherwise. So if you really want to play this and your DM doesn't have Purple Dragon Knights in the setting, that's fine. Just you're a banner knight or a banneret. Go with it that way. So let's get into the mechanics and why we think they could be a little better probably. At least that's how I feel. Uh, rallying Cry at third level. You learn how to inspire. Blah. I cannot talk today. But you learn how to, apparently this guy does because he inspires his allies to fight on past their injuries somehow. Um, essentially, if you use second wind, you can choose up to three creatures within 60 feet of you that are allied with you. They each regain hit points equal to your fighter level, provided Rally. they can see and hear you. Now, here's the thing. Like, at no point is your fighter level going to be a ton of hit points. Right. But this is, the, this is really handy to raise people who are maybe busy making death saves. Right. right. If someone is down and they're within 60 feet of you, which is a good amount of space and allied with you, this is that moment where you call for your allies to their feet. It's a good flavor moment. And 
honestly, sometimes just raising them up and boosting that action economy is one of the most powerful things you can do yeah, in a fight. Yeah, I mean, or even straight if you, up, if you give them a little bit of hit point boost, that means maybe that the cleric doesn't Dude, have to heal them this round, which means the cleric can do something else. So it, yeah. it takes off a little well, also, pressure. Also, it, it's sixty feet is a good amount of range. It's right? a long range, and it doesn't include your enemies, so it's only your allies. Like, so you can do it in the middle of everything. Healing ward is what thirty feet, right? And and if you're playing a knight, the chances are probably also that there are soldiers and yeah. there's something like and that. So this is really excellent for HP, a roleplay reason to be like, my soldiers are This bolstered. one I think is pretty good because HP is pretty powerful in 5e, yeah. right? And if you're giving, like, let's say 3 HP to 3 characters, you're handing out 9 HP. If we compare that to a paladin's lay on hand feature, not too bad yep. at third level, right? Yep. It's pretty comparable almost. So what's interesting to me about this one next is that with Royal Envoy at 7th level, they give you proficiency in the persuasion skill. This is that lore role-playing right. aspect exactly. again. Exactly. Which I like. It's very knightly. Or if you already have it, you can pick one of the other ones, you know? Like, and then, But it's double. They yeah. double your proficiency that bonus cool. on it. It makes you very persuasive. So or, they double you down on like, you know. I am a knight of the realm, and I will come to you, and I will serve you, yeah. but you must first listen to what I have to say. I like say. the persuasiveness, because sometimes as a fighter, you get dismissed as, if you're trying to be a face, or you know, like right. you're not the bard, right? Uh, or the warlock. Or the sorcerer, you know those charisma-based classes because they end up being the face because the mechanics of the game. Or the cleric. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. But definitely the the, paladin. My one thing with this, I think this would make so much more to the class, is just add a combat benefit aspect to this this feature. Uh, That would be good. I like how it is. I don't think it's bad. I think if they just added like this does like gives you some kind of combat benefit that has to do with inspiring your allies, or maybe you can like take an action and you know like. Some kind of bonus, like advantage to an ally or something like that. I think that. that you get some of that with the next one at Inspiring Surge at 10th level. But that's but I have level a, 10. I have a criticism here, and it's not even that it's level 10. So Inspiring Action is when you use an Action Surge, you can pick another creature that is an ally and let them have it, basically. But instead of the Action Surge, they just get another attack. And that's, I think, the criticism that I have. If you're spending your Action Surge on somebody else, they should be able to do anything with that Action Surge that you could do, not just an attack. Hmm. So you can choose one creature that's on that creature. Right. Does this mean you don't get your other action surge abilities? Yeah. So you spe- you're giving your action to them at range of sixty feet. Correct. But it's okay. reduced. It's only an attack. Mm. And and the criticism I have one of it melee is or ranged weapon attack. They should be able. If you're spending your action surge, they should be able to do something else with it. Or too. maybe you should just make it like how it is written for starting at 18th level. You can choose two allies. I mean. Yeah, if you want to accelerate it's it. It's extremely powerful for 10th level, but... Because keep in mind, if you have a barbarian in your party, you know, like, there's... there's I could see places for this being useful, but most of the time you're going to be in the thick of it as a fighter yourself. But it's not necessarily... You are, but if yeah. I'm doing this at a range, that means that I may want to grant somebody an action back in the back line, like a wizard or a rogue or whatever. That's true. And, and I want them to not have to have it be an attack. That, I so want to be able is, to say... This is where the fighter calls for Hawkeye to shoot something down. Right. Or <laughs> we really need you to open that door now, uh, Spider-Man. You know, you really... You know, like, grant somebody an extra action. Wait, that's, that's Black Widow's job, okay? Okay, fine, fine. Jeez. My, my point is that the action itself as a whole, I think, should translate, not just an attack. It's that if you're spending... Because you can do whatever you want with an action surge. You can cast a spell. You can make an attack. You can open a lock. You can yeah, do anything. Definitely. And that's what I think should transfer. So that, yeah. but that's, you know, not rules is written. Yeah, I think that would be an easy way to make it more powerful, though, right? Is essentially just give them the free action entirely. Yeah. Because the one thing here is, like, you can't cast a spell. 
Exactly. Lame. Especially if it's an attack spell. They love just limiting spell economy so much. Good thing we're talking about the fighter. So, Bulwark is their last ability. Um, They don't have an 18th level level ability. Yeah, they don't. Right? This, This... like, I love the idea of this banneret class, but it doesn't really do that much to inspire its allies. You know, you, a level one bard is probably... You have to get to this level to get at 15, you finally. Just, just play a bard. Of, of, <laughs> seriously, just play a bard who wears yeah. has a banner and wears armor, and you're going to be a better banneret than the banneret class. Maybe. That maybe um, actually is not a bad idea. But this, this can be great if you like the flavor and you don't care about that. So, uh, Bulwark 15th level... You can essentially extend benefit of Indomitable feature to an ally. Indomitable is when you have to roll for a save and you fail. It's a fighter ability. You can essentially re-roll it instead. But the thing is, what I hate about this feature is you can only help them re-roll an intelligence, wisdom, or charisma saving throw. If And you can't be incapacitated. You have to be within 60 feet of you. That is, It's just not that good. There's too many conditions. Why not just all the saving throws? I mean, like I said... Why limit it to intelligence, wisdom, and charisma? Well, the bard actually is a better idea. I think, like I said earlier, it's like, not... They're not, not all of them I'm are balanced. wisdom's in there, because... <laughs> some of these some of these subclasses are better than others. Yeah. No, I just feel like this one, like, if you have a player who wants to do it, they want to spruce it up a little bit for them, I would. Maybe. I yeah. agree. Add some homebrew content, make it a little yeah. bit better. The samurai is the next one, I Yay. think, and it, it captures actually the essence of a samurai very well. Dude, this one's my favorite. Uh, I, <laughs> I have to make an important note here. Uh, this is a more historical, slightly realistic samurai or interpretation as in the class. This is not an anime samurai where you're like cutting the wind at a distance and like have a ranged attack, which is really cool. This is different. Yes. But it, it, like, this is I agree historical. with you. This, this is... does a really good job at capturing kind of like the the knight, like, yeah, you know, the, of, the samurai knight of and, Japan. And, and what's interesting is that we have the cavalier, which is like your Western mounted knight, although they don't call it a knight. We have the eldritch knight, and, which is the only one with the actual knight name in it. And it's not anything to do with knighthood. It's about magic. Yeah. And then you have the samurai, which interestingly is sort of the, the because of... Aside from the, the banneret, he's pretty knightly. He's right up there. I mean... He's more That's like the, the banneret's only thing. Don't take it from the him. banneret. I would say is more like the marshal from three, three five. Okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And a, a lame uh, version. Yeah. Yeah. More lame version. And the samurai is, I think it captures the essence of it very well. And that Eastern style knight, you know, I mean, it's great. This, this class is really built around the unbreakable will yield or die fight. But you also have access to history and performance well, I mean, yeah. as it, skills. So we for see your the knightly kind of flavor coming in again right, for, right. you know, you gain proficiency in history, insight, performance, persuasion, or you can learn the language of your choice, which is cool. You know, same thing, right? It's literally the same feature. Third level though is kind of your your a signature ability. I mean, fighting spirit, right? Yeah. You gain you you really want this attack to hit, so you use your fighting spirit to give you that extra boost. It's like your stance, right? You know? And it gives you advantage on your attack and temporary hit so points. Here's the thing, though: it gives you advantage on all weapon attack rolls until the end of your current turn. You really, really, really mean so, it. And when you do so, you gain five temporary hit points. Those hit points increase to 10 at 10th level and 15 at 15th level. This is really good because, one, you're going to have multiple attacks, right, with action surge. Advantage is essentially a plus five on your attacks. This ensures your attacks are probably going to hit. This is great. You get extra hit points as you do it. So it's like reckless attack except it protects you. That's pretty nice. Um, The thing is you can only use this three times. Um, you can regain all expended uses of it on a long rest. This is like that samurai 
focus moment, you know, like, I know I love it. It's yeah, totally I great. It. And it's, it's super from a mechanic cool. perspective. It keeps you in the fight longer. So it's a really useful skill. It's a great so skill. Even if you change Dude, the tone of samurai to something else, always good. Yeah, in 5e. It's super good. Plus advantage on attack rolls. You, you cannot like, go wrong with five temporary hit points and advantage on attack rolls. So this is some of where I think at seventh level you get the next one, elegant courtier. Uh, Back to the flavor. Right, and this is they do this with a lot of these, and I think it's it, this one has a, a combat component to it though, so I think it's better than the last class. I mean, yes, and uh, it gives you bonuses on persuasion for your charisma check. You also gain it to your wisdom mod, See, and I it like gives that. you bonus on wisdom saving throws. That's the thing. You you gain proficiency in wisdom saving throws. If you already have this proficiency, you gain proficiency in intelligence or charisma saving because throws. Because you are so Can elegant. Can we just tack your, that onto the Banner Knights? Your mind that, is... That part? <laughs> right. Your like, mind is so well trained. Paragraph. You just you just are better but at That's what I was these. talking about with the Bannerette. I'm like, why not give them the exact same little paragraph there? For them. Yeah, but start instead of with wisdom, go with charisma because yeah. it's a banneret. Exactly. Why not? It would be See, an that's easy mechanical I, like, change. This is exactly what I was talking about in that last one. Like, give a combat benefit to it as well if it's like all you're getting at seventh level. So at tenth level, you get tireless spirit, which basically lets you roll initiative and uh, when you roll it and you have no uses of your fighting spirit, which you only get three times, mm -hmm. three times before, per, per you rest, gain one. Which right? is great. The so classic, this, like you're never empty. Right. is never empty ability. Right. Except you're a samurai. So, you know, of course we're in war. We'll continue to have another some more stamina we never yeah. run out and it actually works really well for any kind of quote-unquote knight it's just sort of like keep going keep mm -hmm. going keep going yeah rapid strike is a cool one i almost wish you got it a little bit sooner but it's it's pretty cool um you get to essentially have advantage on attack roll against any target that you attack uh but you and you can forego that advantage for that roll to make an additional weapon attack against that target as part of the same action you're getting a lot of advantage from your other abilities, right? Yeah, but you can if you get rid of your advantage. This is the this is a combo ability. Yeah. If you get rid of yep. your advantage you got from fighting spirit, yep. you get an extra attack. That's pretty sweet. I like that trade off. That's nice. I like having those attack like options. This feels like a meaningful choice that you get to make. Like, is it worth? Yeah. You know, like, and I, it's powerful. You too. know, it's good because it has the clause. You can do so no more than once per turn. <laughs> when yes, you see that yes. phrasing, you're like, this ability is really fucking good, and they're specifically going to limit you because it would break the game otherwise. Right. Um, Rapid Strike is really cool. You have to keep in mind you're combining this with Accent Surge and Fighting Spirit. Think about that. Fighting Spirit, you get advantage on all attack rolls. You can get like five, maybe yeah. six attacks per round. Samurai is getting probably some of the best action economy out of these classes. There's your Slash of Wind. Yeah. Exactly. Right, pretty sweet. So the last I, one is strength before death at 18th level. This one is like risky. It's very in flavor though. I really like it. I would totally pull it off. This is essentially what my uh, undead samurai in our other campaign does, but he comes back to life. Yeah, basically, if you would take an attack that takes you down to zero, instead you can use your reaction to delay that. You're just like no death. Nope. Like nope, not, not yet. Not right now, Grim Reaper. Your hit points still go oh, to zero. You immediately take an extra turn, and you have to take saving throw failures as normal. Through but the turn, you get an extra turn. So it's like this is the one where in those old Kurosawa movies, the yep, samurai just, is dead. He keeps stumbling. But takes one or two more attacks to kill his enemies yeah, and then falls. Yep, you know that move. It's yeah. very dramatic. Where you I, know I he's dead, it. but he somehow, like, his body just takes out three matter. more guys. Right, right. Yeah, I love that one. <laughs> it's always like that old samurai, like, Obi. it's the Obi-Wan dying moment. You're like, no. But there's more, like, killing and blood. Right, right. It's more like, it's more like <laughs> d d 
And that's it. That covers all the things we were going to cover today, I think, in subclasses for the fighter. Oh, the one thing we should talk about, because we missed it at the start and we intended to talk about it, was just the, the fighter's abilities really quick. I think it's uh, they're pretty simple and straightforward, but it's important to keep them in mind uh, as you're choosing a subclass and kind of picking how you want to build it. Uh, we'll just go through them really quick. They're so straightforward yeah, that we didn't even think yeah, about it. We didn't even think about it. We just figured, you know, if you got this far in our podcast, you probably already know. <laughs> uh, second wind... Uh, essentially, let's you do 1d10 plus your fighter level. Uh, you can do it on a short rest. It's free health. Free You're going to be using this all the time. You're going to use it it's all the time. It's just how do I stay in the fight it's, it's all awesome. the time. It's awesome. Action surge, we've talked about. You get a free action. Pretty freaking good. 17th level, you can use it twice before rest. Plus awesome. a fighting style. You get a fighting style as well. And yeah. you know, and this basically is how you're going to pick... Fighting style is pretty cool. It's how you're going to pick what your what your fighter is going to be about. Are you ranged? Are you shield? Right. Are you two yeah. weapons? Archery, defense, dueling. This takes the place of having to take a bunch of feats. Right. Um, usually back in other editions, like if you wanted to start as a dual dual wielder, maybe you didn't have the feats to start dual wielding, or you could, but you would suck at it. Right. And you know your attacks would hit because you had negatives. It's really nice to be able to just have two weapon fighting off the bat without a ton of penalties. Totally agree. It used to be such a pain in the ass, and everyone wants to be Dritz Storden, so of of course, you have to have this option available. I mean, he's badass. Now, this is one area where I definitely would allow um, homebrew, or in this case, Unearthed Arcana. Um, there's been some cool fighting style options in the Unearthed Arcana lately. It's one totally. of my favorite things yeah, I've totally. seen out of the last like years worth of stuff, which I think is great. It's definitely a place that, uh, because all fighters get a fighting style, I think it's a good place to expand it to allow for different flavors. Because it's a feat that really makes each fighter a little bit more distinct. Uh, but yeah, that one is, of course, of course you have a fighting style. You're a fighter. Uh, the other one we talked about was indomitable, which is you can reroll a saving throw that you fail. I you will the, not be beaten. Yeah, exactly. You get this at ninth level. You can just say no, essentially. It's the player's version of legendary resistance. Right. It's not quite as good. Um, essentially you use the new roll and then you, you have to use a long rest to get the feature back. Uh, once you hit like 13th level, you can use it twice. And I mean, it's good for any scenario. Yeah. It's just always good to have. You never know. You're tougher. You're just tougher as a fighter. So yeah, fighter. It's pretty much the fighter in a nutshell. It's pretty straightforward. It really, though, because it's kind of like almost a blank slate a lot of the time, it really lets the player do so much. And that's why I was saying it's kind of weird having all that elven flavor in exactly. Arcane Archer, exactly. right? Because totally all the other agree. fighter classes are... They're, they hone in on that versatility. Like right. you could do so much with just that subclass. Plus elves sometimes. And like, well, and what about dwarves? Even, Come even on, the you purple know? dragonites, they give you like a generic name to use for them. Right. And so that's why Arcane Archer, I'm like, maybe this should have just been a ranger class. Like, yeah. I don't know. Or take out the elf bit. Yeah. Just, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. As far as fighters, that's all there is to go. Yeah, go you over, really can't go wrong with a fighter. I mean, it's never a bad choice. Even if you have multiple in the party, it's if not going like to shoot you If you like hitting stuff with the weapon, that's the class to be. All right, I think next time we're going to talk about Wizard. But before that, we'll probably talk about some other game design stuff. Maybe uh, reward loops and experience points. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, how to level up. All right, until next time. See ya.